Welcome to Stupid Beautiful. I'm your host, Travis Day. I never quite figured out how to fit in to this modern American society. When I gave myself permission to stop trying, I started living the life I always dreamed of. When you're born into a world you don't fit into, it's because you were born to help create a new one. This podcast is a deep dive into the unique and inspiring lives of my guests who by living authentically are on a mission to create a new world. If you enjoy this conversation, please leave a review, subscribe to the show, and share this episode on social media. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I have with me a very special guest because she is my sister. Um, Hi. So we did a Native American sweat together three years ago. And long story short, you didn't tell me much about it, but you brought me to the sweat. We walked downstairs to a group of people who were sitting Indian style in a circle, silent. And we sat down and I was just freaking out, wondering, okay, what's going on? And the medicine man, Daryl, who was leading the group, he finally opened his eyes. Everybody kind of came back to the space and he looked at me and he said, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you'd like to be called. (laughs) And it was just like the most uncomfortable question of all time. So I think I want to pose that to you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you would like to be called? Oh boy. (laughs) Payback. Is that why I'm here? I've been thinking thinking hard about that one. Uh, I love that. Um, Well, my name is Tamara. Day Shriver. Um, I am Travis's sister, and uh, what I like to be called, um, I've. I'll give you a name that I um, received from this man uh, who's a mythologist named Martin Shaw. Um, he called me Mother of the Beast. So I think for <laughs> for this interview. <laughs> You can think of me as mother of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> can, we get, can we get an explanation? Um, I think it's better to leave it a little bit, uh, okay. a little bit open-ended. I, uh, for me, mother of the beast, I am actually a mother. Um, my son is a little bit over two. So there's a, like a literal sense <laughs> to, to that name. He is a little bit beastly sometimes. Um, but I also really identify with mother in a much broader term. Um, a lot of the work that I do and the things that I think about are related to motherhood and this way that the female body is really connected and related to the earth body um, and earth as mother. So, uh, and then even broader out from there, like the cosmic mother. Um, so kind of motherhood in all of its forms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so buckle your buckle your seatbelts, everyone. Here we go. 
I, I asked you the other day, like, what do you want to talk about? And I knew it was a stupid question. And you said, pregnancy and birth, duh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're a new mother. You just said Francis is almost, he's almost two. No, he just turned he, two. He just turned two. Yeah. And you just finished a book. Uh, I just finished a book proposal. Book proposal. Well, you, <laughs> I'm still working on the book, but it's I not you, finished. I thought it was done. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're, you're very secretive about your book. Um, should we dive in? Sure. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the premise, what kind of sparked it and uh, what it's all about? Yeah, so I basically I got pregnant with my son for the first time uh, in the fall of 2017. Um, I'd just been married and I was really excited uh, for motherhood. Um, kind of going through the ritual of getting married, I felt like I was really seen in that space. I had a lot of friends like uh, just hold space for my questions of, you know, what does it mean to be a wife and what's this change that I'm undergoing and is it going to be a big spiritual shift or is it more superficial? Um, and the wedding itself felt like a big ritual where, you know, we had 250 of our closest friends and family there to witness us exchanging vows and we had a big party and celebration. Um, and so I got pregnant shortly after we were married. Um, and I was kind of expecting or needing like just a community. Um, and I was really excited to dive into like pregnancy books. And I kind of imagined this big community of women that would be there to welcome me and share the mysteries of what the experience was going to be and what motherhood meant. Um, and, and so I like naively just like went to Google and was like, okay, what are the best pregnancy books? What do I need to know? Um, and everything I found was, you know, these are the rules that you have to follow. You can't eat these foods. You're not allowed to do this anymore. You can, you don't gain this much weight, but you have to gain this much. And like, um, it, and then all the different things that could go wrong at every stage. Um, and there, there was a lot of really detailed fascinating scientific information about like the process by which my baby would grow. Um, but there was almost nothing about the journey that women undergo um, going from woman to mother. Uh, and so I was like really pissed at the beginning. <laughs> like it felt, um, it felt like the energy was really off that everything was about fear and control. Um, and like my, just my emotions and feelings before going and searching out information was excitement and wonder and curiosity. So I just noticed this huge mismatch between the information that I was finding and then like my own experience that I felt really called to have. Mm -hmm. um, so I made a decision very early on, like I'm not going to read any more pregnancy books. I'm not going to Google, you know, 101 things that can go wrong when you're having a baby. Um, I'm going to, really try and honor the experience that I'm having um, by like connecting with my body, like listening to its cues um, and like, and trying to find like, what did, what did women 200 years ago do or a thousand years ago do? What do people in other traditions do around pregnancy and birth? Um, 
And so I, I went about starting to research this stuff and I found that there, you know, unsurprisingly, there's a whole legacy of really what I want to call like a lost wisdom tradition around honoring the feminine and honoring women's bodies and honoring these initiations that we go through in different points in our lives, um, starting with, you know, our first menstruation and continuing in pregnancy and every month when we have our menstrual cycle and eventually in menopause and even into death. Um, and uh, it felt like getting in touch with this big, like lost spiritual tradition um, that you, that I just hadn't heard about. Um, and that when I started like prodding and digging it, like it just felt like there's so many people that have written about this and it's kind of hidden in all these places. Um, so I started collecting the different threads and my hope is that I can present that back out to women as an offering um, and an invitation saying, uh, you know, you don't have to go down a traditional route of fear and all, all the focus being on your baby. Like you can really claim this as a transformative journey um, for your own self and your own growth that's intimately connected and related to the growth of your baby and also to the community and to the bigger world that birth is a relational process. Um, but the way that we've thought about it in the modern world is like to separate all these things out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I mean, this is all related to the reclamation that's going on right now in the world of a lot of, just a lot of things that we've that we've separated out, that we have disconnected, um, coming back into union, coming back into connection, and really understanding ourselves and the world in a radically different way. Okay, I think you summed it all up. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's so... I mean, it just makes so much sense to look back to see what people were doing a long time ago. With why do you think that split happened into the more kind of fear-based way that women go through pregnancy now? And why do you think it was so hard to find um, information about that? And, and you said you did find some information. So what, what did you find? Yeah, I think your first question of like, what, what caused that original separation? Like I have asked myself that so many times and it's, it's just a huge mystery to me of like, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, I think, I think you have to go back so many thousands of years. Um, you know, it's, we see kind of all of these isms that we're looking at right now of like racism and, or like patriarchy of, uh, like there's a, it feels like there was a split somewhere between like the masculine and the feminine and both like the feminine got completely suppressed and then the masculine kind of turned toxic um, and it, I don't think it's a, it's not a gendered thing. Like obviously maybe in certain or in a lot of situations, like men do appear to be dominant, but the whole imbalance has really hurt both men and women. Um, and yeah, I don't know why it, it feels like we're really going into an era of rebalancing. Um, there's so many different indigenous traditions, uh, that have prophecies around the times that we're living in and, um, uh, the, the things that I found that I really connected with, there's a man named Bruce Lincoln, who's an anthropologist 
and he studied uh, feminine like rites of passage or feminine initiation around the world and wrote a book about it. Um, and then also uh, Joseph Campbell writes about the hero's journey. Um, these things might seem separate, but they're actually, I think, intimately related. Um, Bruce Lincoln talked about uh, just the kind of the pattern of initiation for women, um, which was also Joseph Campbell, if you're looking at the hero's journey, it's talking about human initiation and this pattern um, of life, death, and rebirth. Um, the hero's journey has had a lot of like talk around it nowadays, and I think it's actually been really misunderstood. Um, people have been pissed that the hero's journey has is like kind of been taken over by the masculine, and it's about a young man like ascending into glory and getting a bunch of like material gain and wealth and stuff, but that's not actually the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell was writing about. Um, what is the hero's journey? So the hero's journey is a framework for understanding the evolution of consciousness um, or like the unfolding of spirit or like the growth of the psyche within people. Um, it is, it's a, so Joseph Campbell studied all of these different cultures around the world, the stories that they would tell because since the beginning of time, people have sat around a fire and told each other stories. Um, so he studied all of these different cultures that had myths um, and looked at the myths. And he found like, there's these strikingly consistent patterns within the myths of cultures that have had no interaction, that haven't related, um, and, and was kind of asking the question, like, what is this about? And his thesis is that, that there is a, like all of these stories are speaking to this underlying pattern of human transformation, which is universal. Mm -hmm. um, you see it in nature with the change of the seasons. You see it in the cycles of the moon. You see it in kind of all of nature. But the other place you see it is in the female body. Um, this, so the hero's journey, it kind of broadly has three phases. The first phase is... Um, the hero is called away from the world as they know it and kind of thrust into this other world um, where like the reality is just very different from how it was before. Um, in the second phase, they kind of go through all of these trials that test the core of who they are. Um, and then finally, they return home to the original community they left, but they're completely transformed. Um, and on the return, Martin Shaw that I talked about before, um, he says that in in this process, this initiation process, uh, the return is the most important part because that's where you get to circle up with your community and tell the story of the places that you've been and what you've learned. And through the telling of that, you get to integrate your wisdom. Uh, and he says, if you don't have a community to come back to, if people aren't listening and paying attention, you actually can't integrate any of that wisdom and so it becomes lost. Um, and for me, I think that's, that resonated so much of just what's happening in pregnancy and birth with women is we're going through this incredible transformative experience and we don't have language to talk about it. And we don't have a culture that's there to listen to the, like the complexity of the experience to really hold that, to hold, not just like my baby is so beautiful, which is, you know, so true, but like also the, the journey is really, it can be really hard and it can be, you know, ask you to heal and deep wounds in all these ways. And it can be really like 
transformation, the first step is going down. Um, it's not just ascending up into glory. Um, a lot of it is like shedding off identities that no longer serve you. Um, and so I just, for me, if I just imagine like if women actually, after they went through labor and birth, had a community that they could go to and share their story of what it meant to them or the questions that they're holding or the grief that they feel or the disappointment or the joy or the excitement or the wonder, just like the fullness of all of that. I think it would be so transformative. And, and this is what women have been doing naturally since like, since we first existed, like it's so natural to get together with other women and to talk about these things. Um, but in our modern world is like, you know, other people are working. We're living really far from our families. We, we don't have language to really hold complex experience and emotion. And so I think we're doing an incredible disservice to women. Um, and there's also like, after you give birth, there's so much emphasis on like going back to work or getting your body back or, getting back to my life as it used to be. There's like all this focus on like going backwards. And like, what I want to say is like, no, like you can't go backwards. And why would we want to? Like, it's such a, it's such a profound journey with gifts to offer, not just the women who goes through it, but that she gets to offer her child and her family and her community and the whole world. Um, and so I think women reclaiming that would be transformative to our culture. Um, and, and I think women are starting to reclaim that and are starting to just question like, you know, wait, like my mom didn't tell me that, like that this happened or like grandma didn't tell me that, um, you know, what's going on. Um, you know, and if you look at the, at the history of just birth in the United States, it's, it's, not hard to see like why we don't have that that natural community or culture around it um it's been turned birth has been turned into such a medical event and women are really seen as secondary to the like to the doctor who's who's like saving them from themselves birthing these like a baby or uh, women used to be this was like common practice they would be sedated and put under so they weren't even conscious for their birth husbands were not allowed in the birthing room if these were standard practices in the in the 21st century in, a, in the United States. Um, and so like, thank goodness women are waking up and saying like, this is not okay. Um, but still like too many friends that I talk to who are, you know, modern empowered women talk about feeling in the, in the labor experience, not seen and not supported and judged and kind of not like needing to find their voice and needing to stand up for themselves in this experience that's really vulnerable and really painful and uh, like really asks you to travel out beyond your own limits. And at, we're, we're really not giving the process the reverence and the respect that it deserves. Um, and so I'm very passionate, as you can hear, about changing that. Um, and like also just related to that of like speaking, like it's pregnancy and birth, it's not going to look a set way. 
it's not going to look the same for every woman. There is no right way to give birth. So whether you're giving birth in a hospital with an epidural, whether you're giving birth at home, whether you're giving birth on the side of the road, like I don't think it matters. The, the thing that matters is that a woman feels supported, that she feels seen and that she feels respected throughout the process. Um, that's like the basic minimum that, and we're not delivering it right now as the system set up. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm loving this. Um, okay. I want to talk about two things. One, we, we have to get to your journey. Um, yeah. You're, I look up to you so much. Um, I feel like you're a person who's always kind of like created your own reality or went after what you wanted and never really settled for other people's points of view. Um, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but that's what it seemed like to me. So I want to talk about that, but really quick, just to your point, um, I, I, I tell people about you all the time and, and your book, um, <laughs> and I get so many different responses from women, but one thing that I do hear a lot is the fear and they all have one friend who something happened you know, or they know of a friend of a friend of a friend where this happened, but they always bring up some like scary medical situation um, that it, I don't say holding them back, but it's kind of like warped their, their view um, is what it seems like to me. I can't speak yeah. from, from that, that point of view, but that's what it seems like. Yeah. I mean, to that, I just want to say that I completely honor and respect their fear. Um, you know, women used to die in childbirth. That's not a made up fact. Like it is a, you know, that doesn't really happen today, but it is a really painful experience. And um, I, I really understand and hear when women are afraid of that. Um, you know, it's something that we've never, like you're living in a body for however many years for me, like 31 years. And then all of a sudden, like the rules of it start to change and it starts to act in this different way. And like, it just, uh, there's nothing to prepare you for the experience of pregnancy and birth. Um, I, I think two things to the fear piece. The one is like, I, I think, I think you really need to honor where you're at. And so if you are feeling afraid of like finding ways of, of just meeting that fear and of welcoming it in and like being gentle with yourself and asking yourself, like, what is it that I need? Um, yeah. What is it that I need? And maybe it's like, I need to make sure like my husband is in the room with me or like, I really want my mom there or I need to really be able to trust my doctor or like, you know, I, I want to be in a hospital with all the med medical technology because if not, I, I would be really afraid. Like, just what, what is it that, that you need? Um, oftentimes for me of like getting in touch with fears, I find that I can actually give myself something more immediate that a lot of times the fear just wants to be like recognized and held. And so if I can meet myself with gentleness, like it kind of loosens a little bit. I think, um, I think pregnancy and birth is a, is a really, big invitation into surrender 
that we don't have control over the experience and there's a lot of unknowns and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that can be really scary. And it's, it's a, an invitation into trust that like really finding within yourself, those places where you feel held and you feel protected and you feel um, like taken care of by something bigger than yourself. Um, so for me, when I talk about birth as a spiritual experience, it felt like a really big invitation into something beyond myself. Um, uh, yeah. And, and then finding people who can support you in, in being in surrendering a little bit more in trusting a little bit more in kind of parsing through uh, intuitions and fears and the difference between those and um, just learning kind of how to how to navigate life by your own compass and in your own body and uh, and being gentle with yourself along the way um, but so so that's all <laughs> in like dealing with the fear the thing I want to say is like women I think I get really mad at popular depictions of birth because we've grown up within a culture that every scene you see in a movie and every birth you see on TV is this really scary medical event. Like a woman's being rushed down a hospital hallway on a gurney and she's screaming controllably. And like, thank God the doctor comes in at the last minute and like everyone's screaming at her, telling her what to do of like, you have to push and like, stop pushing. And, and then like, they like rescue the baby from her. Um, in my experience, that that for me was absolutely nothing like birth was. Um, and in the majority, like, yes, there are cases where medical intervention is necessary. Um, and thank God for modern medical technology to deal with those. But in the majority of births, there is absolutely no medical intervention that's necessary. Our bodies know exactly what to do. Even if our minds have no idea what's going on, like there's an energy that comes through you and the body just knows. Um, and women have been giving birth since the beginning of humanity. <laughs> like literally we have birthed humanity into existence every generation after every generation. Um, every person that exists on this planet right now was birthed from a woman's body. Um, and we don't, we don't give those things equal consideration. And I think if we actually started talking about the power of birth and the wonder of birth and the mystery of birth and showing like what a natural birth, a healthy birth, like actually looks like, I think women would be a lot less afraid and more curious of like, what is actually possible for me and what am I capable like of beyond what I thought that I was. Um, I... I like spoiler alert. I gave birth at home. Um, and well, let's, I was, get, let's go, let's go into your experience. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was, I was like one of the strange people who was really <laughs> excited for the birth experience and then found myself really humbled by it. Um, I have a background in yoga and um, I'm certified as a Kundalini yoga instructor. And I was thinking like, uh, kind of like my breathing techniques and my different <laughs> positions were really gonna help me a lot in birth. Um, and then, you know, at, at, if you're giving birth at home, having 
you know, uh, like an epidural isn't possible. So you're, you're kind of just, you're going through it with your own devices. Um, and I, I remember just getting to a point in my labor where I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally understand and respect why women want to get epidurals. Cause, and also, you know, if you're at the hospital and you've got doctors pushing all epidurals on you, like, are you sure you don't want one? Like you should just get one. Like I probably would have taken one too, because you know, you don't know how much longer it's going to go. Um, and yeah, so it was just, it was very humbling the level of pain that I was led through beyond what I had experienced. Um, and for me, labor and birth, I really believe that for everyone, there's like, there's a core gift in the experience. Um, so I, I gave birth at home. Um, my labor was 16 hours, um, which felt like a really long time. Um, but in, for, in the context of first births, it's actually a pretty short or normal birth length. Um, I was at home with my husband, um, and like kind of experiencing little contractions all day. And so like the midwives knew like, okay, it's probably going to happen sometime. And then it, everything like picked up, uh, on a Friday night and it was getting pretty intense. So we called them to come over. Um, and as soon as they got to our house, everything just stopped. I remember like feeling pretty intense pain and then them asking me like, how's the pain? And just me tamping everything down and being like, I'm feeling great. <laughs> like it's not, it's not that bad. Um, and it was so interesting to watch myself do it. Um, and so they, they basically said like, you know, try and go to sleep. So we got to go like lay in our own bed. Tim slept. Um, it was interesting to watch yourself. T- just, your... just kind of minimize the pain that I was in. And, okay, and so like, you were in more pain than you were telling them. Well, it kind of went away when I started talking to them. Like, I think I was just really suppressing it. Gotcha. Um, okay. And so everything just really stalled um, for the whole night. They slept downstairs and we were upstairs in our room and they would kind of come check on me every hour. Um, and so in the morning they were like, you know, you're not really progressing. It looks like things have stalled. We're going to go and have breakfast and then call us if it picks back up again. And literally like a minute after they left the house, everything started again. <laughs> um, so I think I had this very, like I was completely unaware of it, but I think looking back that it was this like performance anxiety of, mm-hmm. I didn't want, I didn't want to appear to be like out of control or in pain. Like I wanted to be like, I've got this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the experience, like the invitation of it was like, <laughs> not, no, you don't, but like you, you don't, it's okay to show up in like complete vulnerability and complete mess in front of other people and to be seen in that space. Um, I think before going into labor, that would have been felt really vulnerable and scary. Um, and then I remember a moment in like our guest room where my son was eventually born, like on my hands and knees, completely naked, like, just like, uh, like, you know, making noises. I was throwing up at certain parts <laughs> and, you know, birth, birth and labor is messy. And, and just like, I didn't, I didn't care. And I was not self-conscious. And I remember just noting that, like, it, that's so interesting. And just having women, you know, these three women, my midwives who I, you know, knew kind of, but generally I don't get naked in front of people that I know, <laughs> you know, kind of. Um, but it was really, it was a really sweet experience having Tim, my husband there. Um, and so the other thing, like 
related to the pain of pregnancy and birth. Because afterwards I was like, I was just asking like, why on earth does it have to be so painful? Um, and for me, what, what comes up is like pain was such a presencer and such an anchor. My mind could not go anywhere else except in that room, in every nuance of what my body was feeling. Um, and it, like, it couldn't go into stories of the future or stories of the past. It was just very, very present. Um, and I'd heard people talk before about the difference between pain and suffering and the idea that we can feel intense pain, but we don't have to suffer with it, um, which is kind of easier said than done in the moment. But I was thinking about that a little bit. And, uh, and it was just really fascinating to feel my son like descending in my body and feel my body opening up and you know his head like coming out and going back in and coming out and going back in like six different times and then finally the head came out and then um also originally i we didn't find out the gender of my baby and i was 99 percent convinced that my female intuition you know, my rock solid female intuition had it on good authority that I was having a girl. <laughs> so we had like our girl name kicked out. And um, then like my son came out and Tim caught him. I was in a, in a tub in the, in our guest room, a big inflatable tub. And Tim like lifted him up out of the water and was like, uh -huh. it's a boy. And my mind was just like, what? <laughs> um, but I was so relieved at that point of just like, oh, thank goodness that this is like the experience is over. It felt just like such a huge wave of relief. And, uh, and I, yeah. Um, and then it was just so sweet of like holding him and the midwives cleaned everything up. We got to go snuggle into our bed together and just like have him skin to skin on our bodies. And, um, something I wasn't expecting my midwives, like the placenta is delivered with the after, like right after the baby, um, which is this whole other organ that your body grows during pregnancy that is where all the nutrients and like blood and oxygen is that's going into the baby. It's attached to the umbilical cord. So that's actually feeding them. So you birth that out. Um, and so they had it in this bowl and they're like, do you want to see your placenta? And I was like, oh, do I want to see my placenta? I guess so. Okay. Um, and they said that it's, it's, they, in a lot of folklore, it's referred to as the tree of life. Um, and if you look down into it, it's got all of these like snaking veins on it and it looks like a tree. Um, it was really cool to see that. Um, and in a lot of cultures, you go out and you bury that in the garden and you give that back to the earth as like gratitude and thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was a really definitely beautiful experience. Um, I loved doing it at home of just being able to move around in our space. And my midwives were very hands-off. They kind of sat in the corner <laughs> the whole time. Um, but I uh, were like, you know, definitely right there as soon as he was born and to kind of do anything that needed doing, but just of like getting to hold Francis and uh, getting to have that experience with Tim was really sweet. Um, and so then the other fascinating thing was afterwards, my midwives and also Tim said, that's the, the calmest first birth that we've ever seen. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> because from my experience, it was completely not calm and it felt 
really, I felt like very out of control and like really led beyond where I thought the experience was going to go and what I thought I was capable of. Um, so it was interesting that there was such a discrepancy between how they all described it, but, and then also my inner experience. Um, so I think there was a lesson for me in that too, of just, uh, I don't know, being hard on myself or of just having fear around how I'm perceived or people's judgments. Um, uh, yeah, so that is my birth story and Francis's birth story. <laughs> um, could you talk a little bit about, about Tim's experience? Of the birth? Yeah. Uh, yeah, or, or I mean, definitely. I... You could ask him. From what I've heard from him, I think he... I feel so grateful. He really had a lot of trust in me. Um, and like there were a couple of times when like, I just needed to like hold onto his foot. And like the only thing I could look at <laughs> was his foot and I was just like squeezing it. Um, so he was very generous in offering me his foot. Um, when I was throwing up, you know, he had like the barf bowl. So, you know, I didn't even really know that people threw up during labor and I was like, what's going on. Um, and uh, I think he, he, from my like he was just like right there um I think he was really yeah I don't I actually don't know you'll, you'll have to ask him I'll, but yeah. from from what he said I think he had a really uh just beautiful experience of like trusting me and it, it was really cool that he got to be the one that like lifted Francis up and held him for the first time and then gave him to me and then just uh, like the three of us getting to bond as a family right away um, something my midwives did that I absolutely loved was they, for the first hour that Francis was born, they observed an hour of silence. So they didn't speak at all, um, just kind of in reverence of this new life entering the world and then us really getting to bond as a family. Um, so they were kind of just in the next room, like cleaning up and taking care of things. But it was really just the three of us, uh, like laying in bed together. And I remember the first time like t we, Tim took his shirt off and then Francis laid like on his chest. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen Tim that calm before. Like he tends to run pretty high energy. Um, and his whole energy was just like, um, so it was like his, uh, uh, it just completely pacified him <laughs> in a beautiful way. Wow. Um, what advice would you give someone considering a home birth? When did you consider a home birth and did you get pushback from people? Yeah, I um. So there's, there's certain criteria if you're going to work with a midwife that they have for people giving, doing a home birth just to ensure that it's safe. Like safety is their number one priority too, even though I know other people give a lot of flack to the home birth community of like that it's not safe or something. But the, the first thing is that um, you have to be like a low risk pregnancy. Um, so no kind of health complications. Um, you know, mother has to be in good health, baby has to be in good health and you're, you know, getting monitored all up until the pregnancy or up until labor. Um, and uh, the, the, I didn't know anyone who had had a home birth. So it did feel kind of like a, it felt like a bold decision to make. Um, but for me, when I was considering it, I really, I actually had a lot of fear around hospitals just because of stories that, um, 
of friends who had given birth in hospitals that continually talked about what big advocates they had to be for themselves. That like, you have to fill out all this paperwork when you go in. And then all of a sudden you're on this timeline where if you're not progressing at a certain rate, you'd have to be put on Pitocin. And then, you know, if, uh, <laughs> we just got a little friend. Francis. We're talking about how you were born. Um, hey bud. Francis is crawling on top of the couch behind Tamara's head. <laughs> okay, maybe we are going to use this video. What's up, bud? You remember Uncle Trey? about you, huh? Hey, dude. <laughs> What's up, Tim? I love you. Oh. I love you. I'll see you soon. Oh, I'll bring him back. <laughs> right on time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, well, so I think kind of going back to the fear thing for me, I felt more afraid to give birth in a hospital than I did at home just because I, I really wanted to do without intervention. Um, and I was afraid that that wouldn't be respected in a hospital setting because I'd had just a lot of friends who had wanted to do natural births and it ended up not happening in a hospital because they felt pressure by doctors or they felt like rushed and, um, to do a, a C-section or a. Not necessarily C-section, but to do an epidural. And then if you look at, uh, there's a thing that's called the intervention spiral, where as soon as you get one intervention, the, the chances that you're going to have to have another one increase dramatically because you're kind of interfering with this very delicate process of, and wisdom of the female body that's been honed over thousands of years. Um, and, you know, our, our U.S. C-section rate is 33%. So 33% of all birthing women end up getting a C-section. The World Health Organization estimates a healthy rate of like, you know, okay, there's going to be things that happen and in a, in a healthy society, it would be 10%. So we're way over kind of what people estimate to be a healthy amount. Um, the C-section rate goes up on Fridays, goes up before major holidays, kind of like as a convenience for doctors. Um, and those are not okay with me. And I... I was fearful that I just, my desires wouldn't be respected and that my intuition and my choice would be devalued. Um, and I, the thing I loved about the midwives was just viewing pregnancy and birth as an inherently healthy state of being um, versus like a medical condition that needs uh, fixing. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I didn't know anyone who, who had done a home birth the, the other thing that I, that made me feel more comfortable, we lived really close to some of the best hospitals in the country at the time we were living in Baltimore. So we were literally two minutes away from Johns, Johns Hopkins. So I felt very comfortable that if for some reason we did something came up in the process and we did need to do a hospital transfer that we were really close to good care. I think, you know, for some women living in rural areas that that's not the case. So that could be a consideration. Um, my midwives had had delivered like over a thousand babies and they had a hospital transfer rate of less than 3%. Um, and usually those transfers were not in emergency situations. Like it's, it's usually like, okay, something in, in the process of this labor is a little bit off norm, but like is, is not normal. Um, you know, the baby's heart rate is going up or the mom is losing, you know, something is going on. So like, we're going to transfer in the hospital to be as safe as possible. So for me, it was, you know, I did a lot of research. Um, yeah. And so I felt really 
comfortable and confident in the decision I was making. I really loved the two women that I was working with and trusted just their experience. Um, they had delivered a lot of babies. Um, my one mid midwife, Alexa, what, um, had like a graduate degree from Oxford, Oxford and had studying, studied birth in the developing world um, and then ended up like retiring as a midwife right after we gave birth and going to get a law degree at Harvard so that she could like work on the behalf of the rights of women. So she was like brought a lot of intellectual power. Um, and then Deanna was a mother herself. She had three kids, two of them were um, delivered in a hospital and one was at home. And so she kind of had the actual embodied experience of going through. So I felt like their, just their background, it felt like a really nice balance between like the intellectual and the experiential. Um, they were, they lived very close by, so there wasn't any issues of like them taking a long time to get to our house. And I just like, if I imagined like the kind of birth that I really wanted to have being at home just felt really safe. It felt really beautiful of like getting to, you know, put on my music or be in a beautiful space. And, you know, the night before Francis was born. We were on our shared patio with like a bunch of our neighbors eating ice cream. And so I didn't have to worry about like packing up and going to a hospital or filling out paperwork or just kind of any of those other logistical things. Um, so those were kind of all different reasons why I chose to do that. Um, the person that I probably got the most pushback from was mom, um, which was so... It, it was so strange to me because, you know, she delivered the four of us kids with no, with no like medical intervention. Um, it wasn't a hospital, but, um, and then also our grandma gave birth to five kids also without any like medical intervention. Um, and both kind of described their experience as like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't any big <laughs> deal. Like you just go and you drop them out and then you go home. Yeah. Um, so I was, I felt like personally offended actually that mom, <laughs> like her, her thinking was like, just schedule a C-section, like go in, like you, you know, we yeah. have, which, which I see this line of thinking and I think it's so problematic of like, well, we have this technology now. So like, why would you need to feel pain or like, why, like just kind of take, take care of it in like a very efficient way. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we're not asking like, what are we missing out on when we do that? Um, and uh, like, what is the value of pain and why is, has my body like naturally evolved over thousands of years to work in this very specific way? And it's like, it seems very arrogant to think that like suddenly medical technology has come along and like solved the, the yeah. problem of the female body. Like, it, it actually hasn't. And a lot of times it causes a lot more complications than there were beforehand. So, um, but I think, I think mom not supporting me in that way felt very hurtful, like personally hurtful. Um, and, uh, yeah, we kind of had to work through that in the course of my pregnancy. Um, Do you think that's a generational thing? Like, obviously she was just scared and wanting everything to be, you know, perfect and healthy and, and yeah I'm sure it was a fear-based response but uh. yeah I mean I completely think it was coming from a place of love of like she wanted to protect me um and yeah. didn't want me to feel pain um but very, very interesting how it's almost like like you said like 
this medical technology has solved this like pregnancy issue that women ha have and just go with it and get it taken, taken care of. Right. Uh, so it's kind of a good segue into if you want to talk about your kind of spiritual experience through the whole thing, how you've grown through pregnancy and, and what it's uh, meant to you. Yeah. Well, I think um, like we were talking about before of, you know, I don't know if you want to call it the hero's journey or a rite of initiation or, or I mean, a rite of passage or an initiation, but to me, pregnancy and birth was kind of the culmination of it felt like this really deep spiritual journey. Um, and it felt very sacred. Um, I, I love how Charles Eisenstein defines, he talks about sacred, not as being like, kind of like energy coming down and infusing like inert matter. Um, but it actually being the exact opposite that like, we live in a sacred world that everything that exists is just inherently sacred. Um, that the sacred has two defining characteristics. It's unique and it's related. Um, and so if we think of pregnancy and birth and like the medicalized process, you're kind of trying to take the uniqueness out of it. You're trying to standardize everything and say like, it, okay, at this week you're progressed this much and you gain this much weight. And we, uh, we deny the uniqueness of women. Also just viewing pregnancy and birth just as a purely physiological event is denying the fullness of our being. Like we have, yes, we have like our body, we have our intellectual rational mind. We also have like our heart and our emotions and our spirit and all of these things interact together in the process in this really beautiful holistic way. Um, and that actually surprised me. Um, I was surprised. I don't have a reputation for being like the most emotionally in touch person. Um, I don't know it, what your experience with that might be, but you know, in the first trimester of pregnancy, you know, I, I was really excited to be pregnant. And then I found the first trimester really difficult. I, um, I felt like it wasn't a bad nausea and I wasn't throwing up, but just kind of like this light, nausea that hung around all day. I felt really tired. Um, and I felt like I was really getting in touch with like an inner child that just like wanted to like whine and complain of like, this isn't how I thought it was going to be, you know? Um, and I, then I noticed in myself, the mothering voice that was like really critical and really harsh of like, toughen up, like tamp it down, keep going. Um, and so that first trimester was really for me an invitation into a gentler relationship with myself uh, and what I want to call like my inner mother, um, which I, I is like how I, how I relate to and mother myself, but it also is very alive in my creative work too, that this like harsh critical voice wants to like <laughs> cut and destroy everything versus like just being gentle and nurturing. Um, which I can do great with other people, but it was really hard to do that for myself. Um, so the first trimester was really for me, like healing a relation, like just in a, in a much deeper way, healing a relationship with myself, my ability to be gentle with myself. Um, that come up during the first trimester when you started to have these realizations and, and work on it. Yeah. Yeah. Just when I would like notice feelings of feeling like really overwhelmed or feeling 
I also like went into pregnancy and birth thinking I had this great relationship with my body of like, okay, like I've spent 31 years, like really building a beautiful, what I thought was like a beautiful relationship with my body of kind of going against dominant cultural messaging. That's like, you should always be skinnier or always be taller or all of these things. Um, and I felt like, you know, I treat my body really well. I feed it healthy foods. I exercise, I get enough sleep. Like me and my body have a great relationship. And then I became pregnant and it was like, I felt like all the rules got changed. I was like, I'm still eating healthy. I'm still sleeping a lot, even a lot more than I was, but I feel like really bad. Um, and so it felt like I had to renegotiate that relationship um, and to, and to release a lot of control. Like, you know, I could feel like myself getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, I know that this is what happens during pregnancy, but it felt so strange. Um, so it, it just felt like a very disorienting time, which I think is very normal. And actually, if you look like within the whole thing of the hero's journey, that's exactly what's supposed to happen in the, at the beginning is like, you're really taken away from the world as it was. And you're invited into this new world. Um, there's another writer who, who uses the metaphor of a butterfly. It's like when you're first going into the chrysalis, uh, the caterpillar first going into the chrysalis, like the, the whole body of the caterpillar dissolves and then the cells put themselves back together and a butterfly emerges. It's like, that's the, that's the, the, the like energetic format of the process of transformation. So like we, you are dissolving in some deep, deep way. And then like, you're going to be putting yourself back together. And, and if you're doing that consciously, like choosing, like what is serving me and what do I want to carry forward and what things do I really want to let go of? So for me, like letting go was a lot of control that I thought that I had over my body or uh, just sinking down into a more gentle relationship with myself and letting go of some of that criticism and that judgment. Um, healing, you know, healing my relationship with my mom and like the, the feminine legacy in our family, which is like beautiful and so close, but also has a lot of hurt um, just from stuff in the past. Uh, so pregnancy and birth really had me consider of like, what is my relationship with my mom and you know, how, how kind of what do I need? I really found that I, I really wanted to be mothered during the experience. I'm like, I really needed other women. Uh, I needed community more than I ever did before. Um, and that's definitely held true in the process of mothering. Like I, I just, it's something where like my whole life I've, I've been very independent and very like self-driven and focused and motivated and kind of like, I don't need anyone. And this whole experience was really getting me in touch with how connected I am and how dependent I am on other people and community and the world and not in a negative way, but that's like such a beautiful thing. Um, like going back to the spiritual journey, I just, I remember just thinking like existentially before having a kid, like I could imagine myself as an isolated individual alone in the universe. And it's like kind of provoked this like existential angst in me. Um, but as soon as I could feel like Francis in my belly, like moving and kicking and his body, like being part of my body, like separate, but also connected, like the idea that we're set, that we're, separate individuals just absolutely seemed absurd. 
Um, and even, I think it just actually really solidified after he was born was I could like see him moving as, as an individual in the world, but I still had that felt memory of him existing in my body as like two, but also one. Um, and that's a really, like, if you look in a lot of spiritual traditions, that's a very mystical experience. That's an experience of non-duality. Um, that's an experience of like, of just really feeling the connectedness and the relatedness and the unity of all things. Um, like every woman that goes through this experience, like you have that knowledge living in your body. It's not, it, these spiritual concepts don't have to be theoretical abstractions. Like they're actually given to us to experience directly. Um, and that's why I think why I talk about the female body as like this lost wisdom tradition that's like in plain sight that every woman has access to is a lot of, a lot of great spiritual truths that different mystics or teachers will talk about are literally embodied in female flesh. Um, and I, I think it was like really my third trimester that I just felt very connected to that mystery of, and like led into just the wonder of what it is to be a human being and to like sit in the realization that like we create other human beings. Um, like as much as my mind wanted to like understand that and wrap itself around, like I still, I still don't understand how that happens or like what that is. And yet like I've experienced it in my flesh and in my body. Um, and then like thinking of the world of just, if I can look at Francis and remember that feeling of us that still is living in my body of us being connected and being one, it's not that hard to like look out at every single human being that exists and think like we are also connected in some deep way that's beyond my own comprehension. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the womb is such a mysterious place in a woman's body that we don't give a lot of voice to. Um, it's like this dark space of mystery from which all life emerges. And if you think of the cosmos, like it is also this dark space of mystery from which all life has emerged. And I think that there's this beautiful symbiosis between the two. Um, you know, for me, that was like, I was just really discovering for the first time not as a theoretical abstraction, but like really having that knowing deep in my body. Um, but it's like indigenous traditions have talked about this for since the beginning of humanity, you know, they speak of, they refer to the earth as mother and they refer to, you know, women as mother. And like the, they see the earth body and the female body as one and the same, that these are connected. Um, and kind of as we're going through these big, uh, what feel like revolutions in our time, this big cultural collective initiation, um, it feels like we're, we're all being invited back into that experience of like knowing what it is to be connected um, and killing off that illusion of separation that has kept us separate for so long or, or in the illusion of separation. Um, like just kind of all of these ideas were 
were made really concrete in, in my experience of pregnancy and birth. Um, I felt, I felt so connected to like at once very unique and individual, but then also connected to every woman before me since the beginning of time who has also given birth, um, that there's this big lineage of, of, of women who have walked down this path, um, and that the path has not been recognized as a spiritual path. And it absolutely is. Um, and, you know, we've been written out of religion and we've been excluded from religious practices and rituals and, uh, um, you know, I still laugh a lot of times when, when I think it's great that there's so much teachings right now on like meditation and stillness. But if you look at women and especially at mothers, like, there is also a path of movement and of noise and of loudness. Like to think that I get a minute of stillness and silence in my day, like I really have to work hard for that. Um, and I just ask like, what is that teaching me? Um, and, and really trusting that the way all of the world was originally designed has a wisdom beyond what my own ego kind of thinks is like that it knows better. Um, Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's God. Um, it's so funny as a man, I'm like, okay, am I the only man who's ever, you know, um, facilitated a conversation around birth, birth and pregnancy? You know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just, it's God, you bring up so many amazing points and I really resonate with the, with the connectedness and, for so much of my life feeling like I was completely alone and separate and just being confused because I knew deep down in my soul that that's not true. But it was like, I was missing this, this connection, but society was telling me that it didn't, didn't exist. And when you say like, look at every single person walking on this planet, they were birthed by a mother. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, how much, how much better of, um, uh, what's the word? Um, it, it just makes it so simple and so yeah. clear that we are all connected and there's no getting away from it and we all need each other. And, and I feel so strongly that we're missing community. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's this feminine, divine feminine energy that needs to come back into our society and to open our eyes to the magic and the beauty of, of relying on each other and, and being there for each other. And yeah. it's so, I mean, just describing your, your pregnancy and your birth, it seems like so um, just like rooted in our, in our nature. Well, I think, I mean, this is uh, to your point, exactly why we need community um, I talked about Bruce Lincoln a little bit earlier studying women's rituals of initiation, hmm. like births were celebrated by the whole community and seen as it's the birth of a baby. It's the birth of a mother. And it's also the rebirth of the community and the entire universe hmm. um, that these, I feel like in our culture, like we've done with so many things that we've separated out. And so like birth kind of happens over at the side um, and women don't really have the language to talk about it or 
feel, I was talking to a friend the other day and she was like, yeah, if you had a great birthing experience, you don't really want to tell people because you, you don't want them to feel ashamed. And if you had a horrible birth experience, you don't want to tell people because you don't want them to feel scared. And so you have this weird culture of silence around it. Um, but I really, the, the renewal that happens is for all of us. It's not just for one person. And this is where like the diversity of community is such a gift Um, you know, not everyone is meant to be a mother and not everyone is meant to hold that role. Um, But like being able to be in relationship with someone who is holding that role, like you get to go through the journey with her and to see what she learns and to get the wisdom that she, uh, that she travels to the underworld and brings back just like you, you know, are on your own journey and you get to go through your own initiations of life and come back to the community and share that so that we, we get to journey together and, and benefit from the abundance of everyone's diverse experience. Um, like that, that in itself is such a different model from like trying to push everyone down a singular path and say like success looks like this and like everybody should be trying to look like that. Like it's just, it's so contrary to who we are and, like the natural diversity and abundance of humanity. Like we're, we're not all meant to be the same. We're not all meant to take the same journeys. Um, but we are, I think, meant to, to show up, to bear witness to each other's journeys and to support each other and to offer our praise and our gratitude and our reverence. Mm. Um, and I, I've really learned that in the, those ceremonies with Daryl that you talked about at the very beginning of, uh, you know, Daryl is uh, Danae, which I hope I'm saying right, because I just learned that like Danae and Danae are two <laughs> very separate tribes. And so I, uh, I'm, I apologize to anyone listening who is offended by my mispronunciation, <laughs> but he is kind of what we would refer to as Navajo. Um, and he has been just so generous in sharing his tradition with us of inviting us into uh, sacred ceremony with him and you know you sit with Daryl and like he doesn't launch into a big diatribe of like this is what I believe and these are the rules and he just like he he just lets everyone be and just like allows whatever is happening to unfold and uh somehow like creates such beauty and and like I've just felt so seen in those spaces and I've felt like the spirit of myself invited to step forward in powerful and humble and beautiful ways. And I felt so connected to everyone that I've been with Um, and just see like the intelligence to that happens when you get people together and ask them to, to, to just be in the heart space together. Um, And I, I take those experiences and I, I think about my birth Um, and I really believe that labor and birth is, is a sacred space. And from what I've learned from Daryl, everything belongs in a sacred space. So whatever happens is meant to be there and it's offered as a gift to you. Um, so, you know, thinking of birth in that context, I think is very healing and how we make meaning from it. Um, and it's not to say that everything is going to go exactly as you planned or that everything is going to be easy, but it's, it's inviting you to ask, 
to ask the question, like, how is this a gift for me? And what is this experience teaching me? And what does it have to offer? Um, and sometimes those lessons can be really bitter medicine. Um, and other times they can be really sweet and beautiful. Um, but it's like accepting with gratitude, everything that is given and everything that is, um, and just like, you know, going, getting back into alignment with reality and not fighting what is, um, I just, I, I feel so much gratitude to those people who have been carrying indigenous wisdom through just every horrendous way that we've tried to tamp it down and stamp it out and annihilate it. And that wisdom is like so resilient and so, uh, just present. Um, and I see it coming to life in so many spaces in the world right now. And I am so happy that I get to be alive for that and to feel it like rising up in myself too. And to think that like we're building a new world and new communities around what is beautiful about being human, um, and what is beautiful about being together and that honors our connection with each other and our connection with ourselves and our connection with everything that is, um, rather than, you know, our separation. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel it coming back to it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, well, I just want to say thank you to you because you're one of those individuals who's helping to bring it back and to bring forth the awareness that we're connected with your wisdom and the work that you do and your book. That's not, done yet but <laughs> I can't wait because I tell everyone about it uh, so really I'm just honored to be your brother you're such an amazing amazing person and mother and wife and just being and um, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing Thank you so much, Trav. It's such an honor to be here and having a conversation with you. I apologize <laughs> if I talked for too much of it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This was, this was my point was I don't know anything and en- enlighten me, especially as, as a man. I think it's so important for men to stop being afraid of these topics also. You know, it's, we're, we're human beings and the fact that we can't talk about our bodies and talk about being human, it seems, it seems off limits still, you know? And I think now's the time to start normalizing this again and start celebrating the beauty and the magic of what it is. I mean, you literally perpetuate the human race by birthing other humans, you know, like how crazy is that? And we don't, (laughs) and we don't honor, honor you the way we, we should, you know? Um, so it's, it's just beautiful to, to watch you do what you do. And, uh, yeah, thank Thank you so much. Well, thanks for letting me have a voice on here and thank you for listening and for, it's been really fun watching you step forward more too, and getting to watch your journey and feeling like, uh, you know, I'm not just pulling you into crazy things, but you're pulling me too. (laughs) And that we get to walk side by side through this life together and, uh, yeah, just get to journey and get to, to watch, watch it unfold for each other. Yeah. It's been so much fun. I'm having a blast. So, uh, where, where can people, uh, find you or follow you when your book does come out? You, I'm sure we'll announce it and it'll have you on again, but, um, where can people find out more? That's a great question. I, 
I have not upped my social media game yet, but I do have a website, <laughs> um, which is just my name, tamradayshriver.com. Um, and so that's probably the best place now. I have a thing up for like a newsletter and I have, I have done a couple like small blog posts and stuff. So um, it's not really built out yet, but I hope to kind of continue building it out in the next couple of months. And uh, uh, yeah, people can find me there. Great. And, and you please, have a, if, if anyone is interested in this topic or wants to know more, you know, send me an email. I've been, what I'm actually have been developing with a friend is doing like Zoom circles for women, um, going through the experience of pregnancy and also uh, after you've given birth um, to try and offer that community that is like just there to witness and listen to your journey. Um, and uh yeah, so I've got a lot of little things that I'm working on. So if you're interested, sign up for the newsletter or uh, just send me an email through the website. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, Tam. I love you so much. And, uh, Thanks, Tam. Yeah, I I, we'll, we'll have you on again soon. So Tam right. Day, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to Stupid Beautiful. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your loved ones and maybe that cousin that you just can't stand. The most transformational experiences of my life have all started with the conversation, and I'm so grateful that you are here with me for this one. If you resonated with what you heard today, head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It really helps expand the reach of this podcast. To stay connected with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Travis.Day. As always, sending you my love and more importantly, giving you permission to forget the reality you've been sold and start creating your own. <laughs>